Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Jesse Hempel, host of Hello Monday. In my 20s, I knew what I wanted for my career. But from where I am now, in the middle of my life, nothing feels as certain. Work's changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of any of it. So every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. We talk about making career pivots, about purpose and how to discern it, about where happiness fits into the mix and how to ask for more money. Come join us in the Hello Monday community. Let's figure out the future together. Listen to Hello Monday with Jesse Hempel wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to She Pivots. I'm Dr. Sheena Howard. Welcome to She Pivots, the podcast where we talk with women who dared to pivot out of one career and into something new and explore how their personal lives impacted these decisions. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman I'm delighted to introduce award-winning author, filmmaker, and scholar, Dr. Sheena Howard to the show this week. Dr. Howard's first pivot came earlier in life as a senior in college when she suffered a career-ending injury, ending her dreams of making it to the WNBA. If there are any athletes or student athletes or even college students listening, you'll understand how disorienting it can feel to lose the promise of a career. I'm excited for you to hear how she worked her way out of that loss mentally and went on to find a new passion, comics and writing at Howard University. She went on to become the first Black woman to win an Eisner Award for her first book, basically the Oscars of comics. And since then, she has written for Marvel and DC and published four other books that explore everything from Black queer identity to intercommunications to academic branding and monetization. And this is just scratching the surface. She is truly a force to be reckoned with. Hope you enjoy. 
This episode contains references to abuse that may be sensitive to some, so please listen with care. My name is Dr. Sheena Howard. I am a professor, writer, and creative entrepreneur. Love all those descriptions. And I feel like you need to give us a little more detail. What do you write? So I write a lot of different things, but I write comics. I write graphic novels, fiction, nonfiction, and film. So I write for Marvel Comics. I write for DC Comics. And I have a book called Why Wakanda Matters that is pretty popular, along with some other books that you may or may not have heard of. So tell us about your childhood. You grew up with you and your mom, right? Yes. So I grew up with my mother and my older brother. So I'm the youngest and went to like Catholic schools all of my life, even through college. And yeah, nice home in in Southwest Philadelphia. And I remember being 11 or 12 years old in a department store with my mother. And we were at the cash register and my mom was buying me yet the latest sneakers and the latest outfit. And I looked up at her and I said, Mom, we're rich, right? And she looked down at me like only a black woman could. And she didn't say yes or no. She just gave me a little grin. And it wouldn't be until years later when I was in college and my brother was in college that we learned that my mom had filed for bankruptcy. She had spent all of those years raising us, turning pennies into dimes and creating resources out of nothing. So I didn't grow up in a rich household financially, but my household was rich in all of the things that a loving household should be. So my mom, even though my my mom got divorced when I was very young, it was very important to her to raise us in the house that we were already in. That was very important, but also to just make sure we didn't want or need anything. So that's why I have a really big problem with single mom household stereotypes because they're totally not true for me and they don't represent everybody. So it bothers me. But my mom used to like take me to Macy's a lot. And it's basically like anything I wanted, I could have. We like literally the the best, most amazing childhood anybody could have. And I wouldn't change it for the world. You mentioned in there that you have a problem with the stereotypes of single parent, particularly mother led really families. So were you aware of those stereotypes when you were growing up and it felt different or you just weren't even aware? So, no, I wasn't aware. In Philadelphia, there are a lot of people that look like me in single parent households. So to me, it was just a a household and I had a great childhood. It wasn't until that I was like 22 or 23. I'm on a date with this guy in New York, actually a first date, you know, the the typical questions, where are you from? That that kind of stuff. And I told him casually, like I had said so many other times, oh, I, you know, raised by my mother. He looks at me and he goes, I don't date people from single parent households with the most disdain. And I was just like confused because I had never heard anything like that. It just had never occurred to me that this was even a problem. And But that moment, this, this relative stranger really made me, made me start to pay attention to the way people talk about single parent households. Girls with no fathers in the home have lower self-esteem. Okay, fine, that sucks. But also, women with low self-esteem are more more promiscuous. Like, single mothers can do the job, but man, that's hard life. And you're likely to be poor if you do that. Very likely to be poor. Even if you started out middle class or above, 
It's a it's yeah. a very easy route to poverty, and so every situation is different. Most women who are single mothers have raised their kids in poverty. Okay. So that twice now. Personal Dude, responsibility on, on. is not dead. It messed my head up. So like I like went on this whole journey of just dating people from two parent households and then encountered some real toxic people from two parent households. Like the the, the point is it, it's not about a two parent household or a single parent household. Some people from two parent households do better. Some people from single parent households do better and, and vice versa. And so the stereotypes really bother me about households in general. And then just even to add on to that is like single father households like don't exist in our culture. And that's a problem too, because they do exist. And so my whole thing is about image activism, really, and just representing the different types of households and kind of moving away from a lot of these stereotypes that really can mess people up in the head, really. Do you think that your mother being such a strong, loving provider provided you with an example of really like self-reliance? Yeah, I mean, she was a great example of self-reliance, determination, problems with the the wage gap for black women who are head of household, who are getting paid less than white men for the same job. This is a big problem, right? No matter what household you're in, particularly single parent households, if people are not being paid equivalent to what other people are being paid, some of the problem is just society's inequality that makes a single parent household a struggle that it doesn't need to be. Eventually, Dr. Howard found her footing, not in writing, not yet, but on the basketball court. From a very young age, I was good at sports. I could have went to college for free for either track, for soccer, or for basketball. I chose basketball because basketball was like my first love. It's no surprise that when Dr. Howard found her passion, basketball, her mom fully supported her as she put in countless hours. I put in the hours to be a basketball player. You talk about 10,000 hours. I put, I play basketball every single day, winter, extreme heat, every waking hour. I went to a D1 college in New York, full paid, all of that stuff. And then I ended up breaking my wrist in college. Thing is, the first time I broke it, I didn't know it was broke. It was just sore and painful, but I played through it anyway. And then I ended up breaking it a second time. And that's when I actually went to the doctor. They did an x-ray and they're like, you know, there's a hole in your bone because you broke your wrist before. And I was like, oh, that's why it was hurting so much. So then they had to do surgery, put a pin in it. And so I had to take a year off from playing basketball. And anybody that plays D1 sports in college knows that it's really tough to come back from an injury that took you out of the game for an entire year. Her injury forced her off the team. She went on to play her final year of basketball at New York Institute of Technology, where she took the team to the semifinals. But after having basketball as her ultimate goal, she struggled to find a new identity, a new North Star. You know, when you stop playing a sport that you played all of your life, that's that's an identity crisis. When you have a vision of this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, because this is what I literally prepared for since I was like in fifth grade. And then you don't have that anymore. This is when some athletes go into a real deep depression because it never occurred to them that they are one day going to have to figure out something else to be. Yeah. And so that's what happened to me. Had you been preparing yourself to go pro? Yes. I was supposed to be a WNBA basketball player. Like I'm supposed to be retired right now with my basketball sneakers and my signature on them. During my college journey, the WNBA came into existence. 
And everybody always told me, if a WNBA exists, you will be playing. When I finished my basketball career, I did get an agent that reached out to me and invited me to tryouts. And I could have went. But thankfully, I was smart enough to realize that I needed to let go of that dream because I realized that I was no longer willing to do the work required to make that dream a reality. So as much as I wanted it, I was honest with myself. You are at a point where you need to walk away from this thing. And thankfully I did because my life is a lot better having not been a professional basketball player. That's a pretty big realization, especially for a young person to realize that I don't, I no longer have what it takes. Like, I think that's a pretty big thing to take. How did you come to that realization? I just, I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Like I was like, I, so I, I do want that thing but I don't want to do it anymore. And this, the tough thing is I didn't have anything to replace that dream with at that time. I was literally just walking away with nothing to go to. And so that's where I was like, I just got to stay in school and I'll figure it out because I'm good at basketball and I'm good at school. And so let me go get this PhD. And that's what I did. I went to Howard University. That's where I wanted to go. And I figured it out. Fresh out of college, she enrolled at Howard University to get her PhD. And for those who don't know, when you enroll in a PhD program, it comes with a teaching position or a TA. This helped Dr. Howard make ends meet before finding her next path. I always felt from a young age that I wanted to be a teacher in some way. And so when I started at Howard University, my tuition was paid for because I actually taught students, public speaking at 23 years old as the teacher on my own in a classroom. So I'm literally teaching kids that I would like see in the club on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> was Crazy. that weird? No, it was weird. And it was like one of those fake it till you make it type situations. <laughs> and it's like, either you're going to like do this or you're going to crumble. And so you better figure it out. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of just try something. Like you don't have to go all in on it, but like like to not be paralyzed by the anxiety of the decision making, like just try something. And if it doesn't work, you can change it. Yes. But but the thing that you took on, I mean, a PhD is, first of all, a many year endeavor. Yes. But also a pretty big financial endeavor. Yes. And so but I, I finished my PhD in three years and I, I am proud to say that I am debt free. I don't have any student loans. And the reason why I, I bring that up is because I made that a promise to myself a few years ago when I was going through my divorce that I'm going to pay these student loans off. I'm going to be debt free. But yeah, so the tuition remission helped from teaching from teaching those classes. And so I really just had to figure out my room and board stuff, which was mm -hmm. which was expensive. And I did have to take out loans for that. Yeah, I was gonna say, how did you manage that? Did you have a side, a part-time job on the side? So like I, I would get a refund check back. Like people in college will understand this. I would get a refund check back because my tuition was paid for. So I would get a refund check back from the loans and I would use that to live off of. Teaching at Howard University did give me a small little stipend, not a lot, but a small little stipend. And so just kind of living off the refund checks is what I did for three years. And I, and I made sure that I finished quick as quickly as possible so that I was done with my PhD by the time I was 26. That's amazing. But so... What was the first thing you did once you finished your PhD? Was it going right back into teaching? Yes. So by the time I finished my PhD, I had clarity. So I, I knew at that time that I wanted to be a professor. 
Howard University showed me that there are black professors, which previous to that, I didn't have any like full-time black professors that actually taught a class. Howard University showed showed me the possibility of being a professor. And so during that time is when I did my dissertation on the boondocks, which changed my life, figured out that, okay, I want to teach, but I actually want to make some money doing it. So I'm going to be a professor. And so right after my PhD, I did one year in the boondocks of Shippensburg at Shippensburg University for a year. And then I landed a job at Ryder University where I still am. And that allowed me to move back to Philadelphia. Now, one quick little thing to that story is when I finished my PhD, I actually had a 10 year track job offer, which is super important to a professor. But it was in New York, in Brooklyn, and I turned it down and everybody thought I was crazy because a tenure track job is like gold. And I was getting that offer as a 26 year old. And I was smart enough to realize if I take this job, I will be stuck at this university. I will be stuck there. I I knew I would be stuck there because it was a teaching university and it wasn't paying me that much. So I literally I I knew that I would be on a hamster wheel with $50,000 in New York, probably living with a roommate in Brooklyn. And I looked at the future of my life and was like, that ain't it. So I turned that down and did the one year at Chippenberg with no promise of, you know, job security. And in that one year, I I applied to like 100 more jobs and ended up getting one more offer, which was at Ryder University, which was the best decision that I've made career wise in terms of being a professor. Wow. Okay. And you said something in there that, you know, we can't just skip over because this is a podcast about changing our lives. And you said, I did my dissertation on boondocks and it changed my life. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Yeah. You know, doing a dissertation on comics in 2010 was not cool, man. It's cool today. It was not cool when I did it. People didn't understand what I was trying to do. It was like, huh, what? And I stuck to my guns. Again, I was like 23, 24. So it's probably more that I just didn't know any better. And I was kind of this young, like, nah, this is what I want to do. But that's what I did. And it changed my life because out of that dissertation, I wrote my first book, Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation, which made me the first black woman to win an Eisner Award at San Diego Comic-Con. And so some people might have seen my reel where I say I am a black history fact. And that's where that story comes from. My book, Why Wakanda Matters, was literally a clue on Jeopardy. I am a black history fact. And that's why you can't let people projecting their fears and insecurities onto you, discourage you, or stop you. Someone else's fear and insecurity is not your problem. Really, you just gotta believe in yourself and they'll catch up. So because I won that Eisner Award, it put me on the map in the comics community. And then people started asking me to write comic books. And it just so happens that I got the opportunity to write a comic book called Superb for a, a nice size comic book company called Lion Forge at the time. And they wanted to write a superhero that had Down syndrome, which was perfect for me because I'm all about representing underestimated populations and telling different stories and trying to make those differences mainstream. And so this comic book was the perfect first place for me to start in terms of writing a comic book. And that was my first comic book. And some of the things that I've been able to do are different than what you think the traditional path is to be able to write for a Marvel or DC C comics. My path is just different. I just took a different way to, to reach those goals. At this time, did it take you to the moment where you said, okay, now I found my thing? Or were you still sort of trying things out as you went along? So now that hindsight is 2020, I latched onto a new goal, which is to become a professor, get a tenure track job, get tenure so that you have a quote unquote job for life. It's not really a job for life. And that was the new goal, but it wasn't a life purpose. I knew it, but it was a goal that, that kept me focused and kept me from doing like dumb stuff. But the life purpose thing bothered me because this entire time that I'm pursuing this path, I felt like something was missing. And I kept like, like, I would literally pray, please tell me what my purpose is, God. Because the purpose was basketball, but I didn't have that. So I, I still had it all of these years, a decade, I hadn't replaced that purpose. I just had a new goal that was worth pursuing. And I'm, I would literally be like, when I wake up, please just give me a sign of what my purpose is supposed to be like. And the sign never came. The sign never came. One, I just got sick and tired of trying to figure out what my purpose was. And one day I was like, ain't nobody giving me a sign. My purpose is the thing that I decide to commit to and decide is my purpose. Now, that's my story. Some people don't like that. This is my experience. And so once I committed to my purpose, now I got a purpose. And that purpose is to be a writer, change millions of lives, and to help people see the light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what they're going through. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's my purpose. How did you get into Marvel and DC? So It's like the comic dream, right? I mean, that's the comic dream for a lot of people. So I did the, I wrote the comic book for Superb. That was my entry point into writing comics. I wrote that. Okay, now I have proof that I can write a comic book. I self-published my own comic called Nina's Whisper. It's a graphic narrative. And I wrote for DC Comics first. So a contact that I had, I reached out to him and I was basically like, I want to write for DC Comics. He gave me an email address. Now, I believe in your your inner wisdom telling you when to do something. He gave me the email address. I didn't use it. I said, the day will come where my my inner wisdom will tell me to use that email address. So I waited probably months, months. And then the day came, I woke up. And my inner wisdom was like, it's time to send that email. So I emailed the editor at DC Comics and I was like, hey, here's what I've done. Here's some samples of my work. I would love to write for you. And they were like, oh, great timing. We actually have an anthology that you can write in. So after I wrote for DC, I was like, okay, the next step is Marvel because Marvel's the big deal, right? Marvel's the thing that people know about. So now I had that, that credibility and I wrote a few things for DC. So now I had that credibility. So for Marvel, though, I didn't have an email. I didn't know anybody that knew anybody there. So again, not waiting in the long line that has a million people at the door. I was like, what's what is the quickest way that I can write for Marvel? So I went on Fiverr.com. Shout out to Fiverr.com. And I paid someone to find an email address for the editor in chief. And I emailed the, the editor in chief and was just like, Hey, I would love to write for Marvel. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done. And I also emailed the second person in command who I can't remember her name. Nobody responded. Fine. Fine. I moved on. Like a year later, somebody from Marvel reached out to me and asked me to write a story. 
And I knew that I had a feeling that that editor in chief had something to do with it. So I sent him a a message after I wrote that story from Marvel. I sent him a message and was like, hey, thank thanks. And he sent me a message back and he said, sorry, it took so long. Since then, she hasn't stopped. She has published an encyclopedia of black comics, written another book on the analytical history of black comics, published her first novel, Nina's Whisper, and released her anticipated new book, Academic Branding, a guide for how to make money as a scholar. So I want to track at the same time as you're gaining prominence, as you're gaining all these professional opportunities, your personal life. When I left that one year job at Shippensburg University and I moved to Philadelphia to take the, the job at Ryder University, great job. I said one of the best career choices I ever made. Mentally, I felt like a failure because growing up, I never had a good feeling about Philadelphia. And so I always thought Philly was just not somewhere that you should be. Literally did not love where I came from. I didn't feel good about myself because I thought the origin point of of where I was born, the city of where I was from, the neighborhood of where I was from. A lot of the stuff that they tell black people in their neighborhoods, your neighborhood is undesirable until it gets gentrified and like, frankly, white people move in. Then all of a sudden it's an amazing neighborhood. I think if you can realize that where, where you're from is a part of who you are, even if it wasn't good, learn the lessons, use, use that as strength so that you can love yourself. One of the things that I teach my son is like, love where you come from. It was this combination of negative feelings she harbored around her home and the negative rhetoric around being raised by a single mother that chipped away at her self-worth and left her vulnerable. It was then that she was introduced to her ex-husband. And unfortunately, that led me to being in not one but two abusive relationships at the hands of people who had parents that were still together because I thought they knew how relationships worked better than I did because I was from a single parent household. Four years ago today, I lay on a sofa in my mother's house at 3 a.m. in the morning, shaking, shivering, crying, body bruised from having been slammed into a car door. My then four-month-old lay next to me in his rocker while I rocked him with the tip of my toe. Moments before I had been physically, verbally, and mentally abused by my then partner, and I only escaped with the help of law enforcement. My ex came home for like the thousandth time. So this is an unforgettable day because it was my birthday. Drunk, crazy. And here I got this infant. This is why my son is my hero, because at the time I did not love myself enough to leave. But I loved my son enough to be like, we're definitely not doing this anymore because he was real. I'm talking about like months old. And so... See, this this is how bad ab- abuse is, psychological. There was physical abuse too, but this is how bad psychological abuse is. I should have just left with him. But instead, I went upstairs and told this drunk person, hey, I'm leaving you. This is it. Right? Because when you're in an abusive situation, you, you're trained to take care of the abuser. That, that's part of how you stay, right? Because you have empathy and sympathy and you love this person. And so obviously that's a terrible idea <laughs> because like, 
rage and craziness. And that's how I had to run out of the house with my son being chased. And thankfully, the police were like just happened to be driving up the block and were able to get the handcuffs out and help me leave the situation with my son. Dr. Howard took her newborn son and immediately went to stay with her mom, where she's lived happily ever since. But it took time for her to grapple with the emotions around what she went through. And the the other thing was letting go of the shame. Because sometimes the shame makes your perspective on a situation a lot worse than it needs to be. So my situation was terrible, the situation that I was in. The weight of the shame made it worse. Felt like a failure. My mom worked this hard for me to end, end up here on her couch, her taking care of me. Like every, everything about it was shame. Tons of shame, tons of feeling like a, feeling like a failure. Like I did all this. I had all of this success just to end up in the house I grew up in on the couch with a child. Terrible. So that's, that's what happened. And when you're used to just having enough in terms of money, like you, I just had money. Like I wasn't rich, but I was like a single person. I have a PhD. I'm a, I never thought about money. Going back to my childhood, my mom never had me worry about money. The lights were always on. I always got what I wanted. So I never worried about money. Money was just always there, right? Not rich, just regular. Now, when your accounts go to zero and you have an infant and you have no money, you quickly understand that money is super important. So I had to change the way I thought about money. And because of the shame and because I where I found myself, the situation I found myself in, I started to feel bad that I spent all of these years not saving money the way I should. Now, I was a very good, I was very good with money in terms of like credit, having a little bit of savings. But when you don't have any money, you, you start thinking about how you could have done better. So part of the journey was changing my perspective on money, not feeling bad for myself, taking 100% responsibility for the fact that I was in an abusive relationship. I don't want anybody to, to hear me say that and think that, you know, the abuser is off the hook. But for me, in order to guarantee that I'm not going to make the same mistake in the future and to take control of my life, I had to take 100% responsibility that at the very beginning of that relationship, I could have walked away. And if I was in a better place mentally, I would have never been in that relationship in the first place. In this head talk that you did, you have your three parts of empowerment and you say, this is not the end of your story. Tell us about those three parts. So these three things are how I got to where I am today out of that, that toxic relationship, no money, nothing to, to where I am today. It's called the three truths of self-empowerment that will set you free, grounded in Buddhism. Cause you know, every time you go through a crisis, you always try to find something spiritual, whether it's Christi- Christianity or whatever it is. So I started going to what's called the Sangha, which is wh- where people go for community in, in the Buddhism tradition. And the principles of Buddhism helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's a lot of the foundation of that TEDx talk, believe it or not. Three truths of self-empowerment. Truth number one, this is not the end of your story. That's taking 100% responsibility. This is not the end of your story. Truth number two, define your own story. Whatever you are going through, it's going to change because one constant is change. So when I was spending those years in my mom's house, feeling shame, feeling terrible, having to get over the mistakes that I made, I just would wake up sometimes and be like, this is not the end of the story. Like there's something else to this. My entire life is not going to be like this forever. Truth number three, be the hero 
of your own story. So the three truths of self-empowerment are you get to define your own story, be the hero of your own story, and this is not the end of your story. So I'm all about the stories you tell yourself are important. I try to really stay away from a victim mindset. Like my work represents underestimated populations. That's what I do. And that, by the way, that could be writing something for a white guy who, who has mental health challenges or just, you know, challenging the status quo of his own limiting self-beliefs. But on a day-to-day basis, I try to remember that it doesn't matter what color I am. It doesn't matter my gender. Although I know inequality exists, I can't stay in that space because it, it's not a story that's supporting where I want to go. I have to know that these isms exist, but still believe in my heart of all hearts that they are not going to stop me from reaching the things that I want to reach. Otherwise, I'll be stuck in this rut of, I didn't get that because I was black. I didn't get that because I'm a woman. Does it happen? Yes. Do I know it's happened blatantly? Yes. But I can't stay in that space on a day-to-day basis. I got to tell myself a story that's empowering to me. When I asked her about her bigger vision that she had planned, her answer reminded me of why I started this show. It's truly the simple things in life that drive us the most. Those personal parts of our lives that matter to us. And as a result, impact our professional selves. This big vision is making sure that I can pay my son's private school tuition in full every year until he graduates. Being able to pay my son's college tuition if he needs it by being smart with my real estate portfolio and those types of things. Being able to have some rental properties so that I have the option to retire early if I want to. Not that I'm going to stop working, but I'm going to stop working for other people, right? And that's that's part of it. It's not the whole thing. Be able to take care of my mom because she's older. And as we know, people get sick eventually. And so that's kind of how, what I want my life to look like. But in getting to that vision, I want to be healthy. And so this is an important part of it because as an entrepreneur and pursuing your goals, we can for, really forget to take care of our body, our mental health. like. Self-care is not something you do after you are already stressed. It's something that you do on a weekly, daily, and monthly basis because you're supposed to do it before you get to that point of feeling super stressed. And so getting to my vision, my condo on the water as well, downtown, is, is that getting to my vision as a healthy person. So what is one thing that, or maybe there's multiple things that at the time you thought, okay, this is terrible. I'm never going to get out of this. And now in retrospect, you see it as having really put you on the path to success that you're on now. Yeah. So that's kind of like a question about regret. And I do have regrets. I know successful people are like, oh, I don't have any regrets because it made me who I am. And now I get to have all this stuff because of the experiences that I had. No, I have regrets. If if I could do it all over again, I would do particularly that relationship over again. And hopefully the universe will allow me to learn the lessons in a different way than the painful way that I had to learn them. So I think that it's okay to have regrets. And I'm okay to say that I regret some of my decisions. And then the question is, how do you just not do that again? Don't Don't make the same mistake. So that's empowering for me. I know that's different than what somebody else may say in terms of regrets, but that's how I think about it. Well, Dr. Sheena Howard, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really so wonderful to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Howard still lives in Philadelphia with her mom and son and teaches at Ryder University. She just came out with her latest book, Academic Branding, 
which is a new style of writing for her and offers a guide to academics and scholars on the tools and strategies they need to position themselves outside of academia so they can reach the masses and make an impact without the expense of a publicist. Visit SheenaCHoward.com to order it today and be sure to follow Sheena on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Sheena Howard to hear her amazing advice and stories. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots. If you made it this far, you're a true pivoter. So thanks for being part of this community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, leave us a rating. Please be nice. Tell your friends about us. To learn more about our guests, follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast or sign up for our newsletter where you can get exclusive behind the scenes content or on our website, She Pivots the Podcast. Talk to you next week. Special thanks to the She Pivots team, executive producer, Emily Edavolosic, associate producer and social media connoisseur, Hannah Cousins, research director, Christine Dickison, events and logistics coordinator, Madeline Sinovic, and audio editor and mixer, Nina Pollack. I endorse She Pivots. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.